I don't know about you guys, but this summer has absolutely flown by, and uh, I'm with it. Uh, uh, Our summer series in the Psalms has also come to an end, and today Pastor Bruce will be looking into a new uh, new series on relationships. So let's kick that off by looking at 1 Peter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 7. So grab your Bibles and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a pew Bible from in front of you. Today's reading will be on page 1206 of the pew Bible. So again, we will be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7. Please follow along as I read. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the prop, at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Please bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a God that cares for us. Lord, help us cast all of our anxieties on you, O God. Help us to see that humility in our own abilities and trust in you will take us farther than our own abilities ever could. Your plan is far superior to our own, so clothe us in humility toward you and toward one another. Lord, help us to see our need for you in your word that we have just read and the teaching Pastor Bruce has prepared for today. All this we pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Andy, and good morning. Welcome. It is great to be back after a week of vacation with family down at Table Rock Lake. And uh, as Andy said, welcome to September. I agree with him. His sentiments, the summer has just flown by. And here it is, September already. But this is my favorite time of the year. I don't know if it's anybody else's, but it's certainly mine for various reasons. One, well, when my kids were at home, my first reason was because they're now back in school. I don't know if that's for some of you parents. Uh, another reason, we have beautiful weather normally during the month of September, especially going into October. Love the fall season. And then now, you know, football is here. And uh, it's the second week of college football. NFL starts this week. Actually, started Thursday. We won't talk about that. That was a little disheartening, disappointing. Um, but we are glad to be here this morning, glad to open up God's Word on a brand new series. And so, Let me just kind of orientate you to where we're going here at LifeBridge in our worship service for the next couple of months. As as Andy alluded to, we just finished up a series in the Psalms, Summer in the Psalms, and I appreciate Pastor Chris concluding that with us in Psalm chapter 17. And today we're going to begin a new four-week series on relationships, and then Pastor Chris will come back and preach a short three-week series on missions preparing our hearts and gearing us toward our world outreach celebration at the end of October. And so I just want to encourage you, mark your calendars, put those dates somewhere so you can remember them, October the 25th through the 29th, our world outreach celebration. You don't want to miss that. But before we get into our text here in 1 Peter chapter 5, let me just kind of set the stage for this particular series on relationships. And in why this series is important, why, why it's worthy of your time, why I want to encourage you to come not only today, but come back for the next three Sundays 
for the course of this series. And here's why. It's coming up on the screen. It's in your notes. We all have relationships, which is obvious, but here's why. We have these relationships, and sin ruins those relationships. But what I want us to see as well is that God can restore those relationships through the power of his grace. Now, you might realize this. Relationships are God's idea. They're they're not our idea. They're actually God's idea. God is the one who designed us and created us for relationships, first and foremost with himself, and then with relationships with one another. And so relationships are important to our creator, to God. Uh, The Father, Son, and Spirit actually exist in a beautiful, harmonious relationship. In the Garden of Eden, a beautiful relationship existed between Adam and Eve, and also between God and Adam and Eve. But then, as some of you may know, when Adam and Eve sinned, it affected both of those relationships. And if it were not for the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ, which now provides us reconciliation both with God and with one another, listen, there would be no hope for our relationships. We would be hopelessly ruined in our relationships if it were not for the grace of God, specifically through Jesus Christ. So relationships have been part of our lives since the beginning of mankind. And every one of us here is in some kind of relationship with somebody. We all have relationships. We, we have relationships with our family. We have relationships with friends. We have relationships, well, somewhat, with our neighbors. We have relationships at home. We have relationships at work. Hopefully you have relationships at church, at wherever you play, recreate, you name it. We exist in relationships. None of us here live in isolation as much as we might at times want to live in isolation. We might want to get away from that specific person, and we might try to do that at times. Uh, But the reality is we all have relationships. We exist in relationships, and those relationships are often a great source of joy, are they not? Some of the relationships you have with people bring you great joy, but as you know, From your own experience, those same relationships can also bring you great pain in life. So it makes sense for us to think about our relationships in the context of God the Father as our creator. It makes sense to approach our relationships according to his word and what God has to say about existing in these relationships. In his book, Instruments, In the Redeemer's hands, Paul Tripp writes this. My self-perception is is as accurate as a carnival mirror. And then he adds, if I'm going to see myself clearly, I need to hold the mirror of God's word in front of me. And then he explains why. Since each of us still has sin remaining in, uh, in us, we will have pockets of spiritual blindness. In other words... Every one of us here this morning, we have these spiritual blind spots that threaten to ruin our relationships. And we desperately need the mirror of God's word to reveal to us those blind spots. We need to know the truth about ourselves, even if it hurts. And that's part of the goal of this series. 
is to show you from God's Word how particular sins can ruin our relationships and at the same time give you hope and to show you how God's grace can restore those relationships. And so with this in mind, let's see how relationships are ruined, first of all this morning, by pride and restored in humility. So notice this coming up on the screen in your notes. What we see here from Peter, here in 1 Peter chapter 5, is this truth. Relationships are ruined when you become full of yourself. But they are restored when you humble yourself. Peter gives us one of the most important statements in all the scripture on both pride and humility here in 1 Peter chapter 5. I know Andy read it for us. I want you to look at it with me one more time. Look at it in your Bibles, whether you have a paper version, a digital version, a copy of God's Word, and see what Peter says again. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. And so right off the bat, we see none of us is exempt from what Peter's saying here. No one here is exempt. He's saying, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward who? One another. And now he tells us why. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then Peter gives an explanation, kind of a motivation, an incentive to clothe ourselves with humility. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The fact is that none of us are immune to the blinding effects of pride. The late pastor, author Adrian Rogers said, pride is a problem that we all wrestle with, and those who think they don't have it probably have more of it. The problem with pride is that it's dangerous. And it's a deceptive sin that infects us all. Nothing brings more destruction to our homes, to our relationships, than a prideful spirit. The real issue is not if pride exists in our hearts. It does. The issue is where pride exists and how pride is being expressed in our lives and how it is ruining our relationships. So pride is strongly rooted in all of our lives. Far more than than most of us care to admit or even think about. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, pride is the central vice of the human personality. Anger, promiscuity, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. In other words, pride is the driving sin of humanity today. Pride is the most significant roadblock in having right relationships first with God and then with one another. One pastor states about himself, the worst decisions in my life, the times my anger has gotten the best of me, and the instances of my greatest regret were all the result of pride. Pride never helped anything. Pride never improved anything. So no wonder John Stott says pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. So let us take the next few moments here and dive in 
to what Peter says here and see how pride ruins relationships and at the same time also see how humility opens the door to God's restoration of those relationships. So number one, pride invites the opposition of God. Pride invites the opposition of God. I think that one of the the most, if the most haunting verse in the Bible is found right here in 1 Peter 5, in the first part of verse 5, where Peter says, God opposes the proud. I cannot think of anything worse than to have an all-powerful God opposing me. But this verse is telling us that if we insist on our way, our rights, our glory, then the living God of the universe will work against us in direct opposition. In other words, our pride puts us in this dreadful position with God where he is opposing us. Now, pride has quite a history. In fact, pride is the very first sin to destroy, we might say, the calm of eternity past and even going into eternity present here. It was pride that cast Lucifer from heaven. It was pride that cost Adam and Eve their place in the Garden of Eden. Pride is the first sin to enter a man's heart, and it is oftentimes the last to leave. Pride is a nasty sin because it is so sneaky and so deceptive. In fact, no sin is more offensive to God than the sin of pride. God detests it. He detests pride. He even hates a proud look, according to Proverbs chapter 6. Again, quoting John Stott, he writes, Pride is more than the first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. Proverbs 8, 13 and 14 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And then pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate, he says. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And so from God's perspective, pride seems to be the most serious sin. But why? Why does God hate pride so fiercely and so passionately? We'll notice this in your notes. Pride contends with God for supremacy. It contends with God for supremacy due to a superior view that we have of ourselves and an inferior view that we have of God. And so it contends for supremacy. This was the motivation behind Lucifer's pride according to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 14. In pride, Satan rebelled against God because he desired to be God. He wanted to rule. He wanted to be the top dog. He wanted God's glory for himself. In pride, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Why? Because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be their own God. And in pride, what do we do? We reject God's will. We reject his wisdom. We reject his word because we think we know better than God about how to do life and how to do relationships. And so God hates pride because proud people trust in themselves. And they seek glory 
for themselves. C.J. Mahaney, pastor and author, wrote a book called Humility, and he says this in his book. He says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Therefore, the motivation in pride is always self-glorification. It's to rob God of his glory. It's to seek our own glory, thereby attempting to deprive God of something only he is worthy to receive. And so it's no wonder that God hates pride. Pride is contending with God for supremacy. And whenever we contend with God for supremacy, listen to me, there's going to be fallout. There's going to be consequences. You see, understand, we don't just walk away in our lives. We don't just walk away in relationships unscathed. Proverbs 11.2 states, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16.8 reminds us, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And because God cannot tolerate this arrogance, Peter tells us something here. He makes it crystal clear that God opposes the proud. This word that Peter uses, opposes, is actually an active present tense verb which all that means is Peter is showing us that God's opposition to pride, it is a constant activity. It's not just a once-off activity. In other words, the proud person is continually being opposed by God himself. Now, one of the ways that God opposes people is to actually allow them to run their own lives to allow their self-centered, self-seeking hearts to kind of run wild, if you will. And it is a scary thing for God to basically say, okay, you want to be your own God? You want to run your own life? Let's see how that works for you. And to release you to your consequences. And when God lets us run unrestrained in our pride, it has devastating consequences on our relationships. In fact, this is the danger of pride on the horizontal level. Notice it in your notes here. Pride is the root cause of ruined relationships. This is why the Puritan Jonathan Edwards called pride the worst viper that is in the heart. In other words, what he is saying is pride kills. Pride kills relationships. Pride will keep you from apologizing when you've been wrong or when you've caused wrong. Pride will cause you to defend yourself when confronted. Pride will cause you to become argumentative and easily angered. Pride will cause you to become divisive and defensive. Pride will cause you to be selfish and stubborn. And if you allow it, pride will rob you of the most treasured relationships in one's life. Every conflict that you go through 
in a relationship has an element of pride mixed into it. Listen, I can attest to this. I will confess to this myself. And I'm sure you can as well. I, I, I can reflect back on conflicts with my wife, Darla, sitting right here. And every time, one of the root sources or issues or causes in that conflict, there's an element of pride that's mixed in with it. And it's pride that wants to make you kind of dig your heels in, not do the right thing, not own up to it, not deal with it God's way. And that's just in a marriage relationship. It's often the case in all of our relationships. In fact, it's, it's I, not ironic, but I'll say ironic. You know, you'll notice what's the middle letter in the word pride. What is it? I. And the point being is we all have an I problem that causes all kinds of problems in our relationships. This is why the Apostle Paul, back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so in this one verse alone, Paul is pointing out two conflict-creating kinds of pride. He points out selfish ambition and vain conceit. And selfish ambition basically says, it is all about me. And that attitude will ruin relationships. Selfish ambition causes all kinds of problems in our relationships. This is why James says, James chapter 3, verse 16, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. In other words, when you find disorder in your relationships, when you find dysfunction in those relationships, in your home, in the workplace, and even here at church, most of the time, self-ambition is at the cause of it. So selfish ambition says, it's all about me. Vain conceit believes, I'm always right. I'm always right. How many of you know somebody like that? Don't, you can raise your hand, just don't point to the person next to you. Man, if you live with somebody who thinks they are always right, or if you work with somebody who thinks they are always right, then you know the harm that pride can cause in relationships. Listen to what one man shared with a marriage counselor. He writes, and I, I quote what he writes here, reading what he writes. He says, Dear Dr. David, I have been stubborn in my marriage, and I'm about to lose my wife. She has pulled away from me because I have hurt her so many times with my arrogant, powerful attitude. I always think my way is the right way of doing things, and she is weary from trying to get my attention. I'm a Christian, but still struggle with stubbornly believing my way of doing things is the best way. In the process, I put her down, dismiss her opinions, and am on the verge of losing her for good. How can I overcome this stubborn pride? And we can somewhat sympathize with this man. It's it's like he's watching his own life just fall apart in slow motion. His pride is ruining his relationship with his wife. It's killing his marriage. So do you see how devastating 
pride is to our relationships. It invites opposition from God, and it's the root cause of so many problems in our relationships. Listen, pride kills relationships. It kills them. If we don't deal with our pride, sooner or later, it will kill the relationships we have in our lives. But thankfully, this passage, thankfully, Peter does not stop with pride here. He goes on, and Peter gives us hope for our relationships. Notice it, point number two, humility invites the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Humility invites the grace of God. So when we move in the direction of pride, God does something. He opposes us. But Peter also says that when we move in the direction of humility, God also does something. He gives us grace. Now, this is absolutely incredible. Humility invites the grace of God on our lives and in our relationships. And the reason is not, listen to me, it's not that humility is some type of performance of virtue that somehow earns God's grace. Please do not think that. But rather, humility is a confession of our dependence on God that receives his grace. Look again what Peter says about humility here in 1 Peter 5. Verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So twice here in these, this short passage, we are commanded to be humble. Why? Well, the answer is obvious. Peter's already told us because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, humility invites the grace of God on our lives and in our relationships. So why does God honor humility? Let me offer you two reasons why. Or one reason why here. Humility celebrates dependency on God. So it's the opposite of pride. It celebrates dependency on God now due to a proper view of both God and ourselves. Humility, in other words, lets God be the center of our lives. It lets God be supreme over our lives. And humility, it actually opens up our life and it leaves room for others to stand next to you for hope and healing. And this gets God's attention. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one to whom I will look, God says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, Isaiah is telling us here that humility actually draws the gaze of our sovereign, supreme God and it invites his amazing grace on our lives. Listen, I cannot say this enough. Humility is essential to relationships. Just as air is essential to the life of human beings, humility is essential to the life of our relationships. Without air, what will happen? Can you live? No. Without air, you will die. 
And without humility, relationships will die. Sooner or later. But with humility, relationships have the potential now to thrive. And here's why. Because of the promise that God gives us here. Notice the promise of humility. God gives his grace to the humble. And what is God's grace here? It is the power to live life and to do relationships according to God's plan. So humility is an attitude which puts others first, which thinks of the desires and needs of others as more worthy of attention than one's own. But that is not how we normally think. It's not how we normally operate. It's not definitely how our culture calls us to act. But God does, and he gives us the power now to live this way. So when we offend our spouse, when we hurt a coworker, when we hurt a friend, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we have God's grace now to deal with it according to God's way, as he tells us in his word. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Listen, those, those are healing words that only a grace-filled person will offer. It's only through God's grace that we can live life and do relationships God's way. This is the basis upon which Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, he says, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then Paul writes in, one, in these verses here in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, which we've already seen here. But let me quote it in context here. The whole thing, verses 3 through 5, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility is the difference between life and death. In relationships. For pride invites the opposition of God, but humility invites the grace of God. So, application here's the take home. It's rather obvious from this passage of scripture here is point number three, and that is to clothe yourself with humility toward others. Clothe yourself with humility. Notice again what Peter says in verse 5. It's crystal clear. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, so no one is exempt. This includes all of us here. And he says, clothe yourselves with humility and notice who it's toward. One another. Paul says the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse or Colossians 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this phrase that 
that Peter and Paul both use, clothe yourselves with humility, is an interesting phrase. The implication is that we are to take up this garment of humility and we're to wrap it around ourselves, not as a matter of external show, but as an inward attitude toward one another. We're to take it up. And so Peter and Paul are both picturing it as an article of clothing, a garment that we put, take up and put on and wrap around ourselves. Peter more than likely had in mind the Last Supper in the upper room where Jesus, some of you may remember in John chapter 13, where Jesus clothed himself with humility and began doing what to the disciples? Washing their feet. So both Peter and Paul here are commanding us to do something now in application to the truth that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In the application, the takeaway, leave here this morning, is to clothe yourself with humility toward one another. How many of you wore red? This last Thursday. Raise your hand. A few of you have read on today. Good for you. I tell you what, I, I was so, I was, I was like jazzed this last week. I, I was pumped. Chiefs game Thursday night. Banners being hung. You know, it's just that we're the first game of the season. I pull out my red Chiefs shirt. I can't wait to put it on. Strut around the house a little bit. Come to the church office here. Chris has got his red on. Kim's got red on as well. Sarah, I don't know that she had red on. Did she have red on? I don't know. You have red on too, Sarah? So all four of us in the office, we all had red on. It was awesome, man. We are just, we're, we're repping. We are repping the Chiefs. We're excited. And, of course, they, you know, laid an egg, but that's another thing. And, uh, you know, in fact, after the game of frustration, just like I ripped that shirt off, threw it in the dirty clothes. Couldn't wait to get rid of it. Put on my KU stuff. <laughs> so they represent yesterday. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I had to go into my closet, my dresser, pull that article of clothing out and put it on in the morning. And Peter and Paul are basically saying the same thing. This garment of humility is the one piece of clothing we are to put on Every morning. The problem is, we leave this garment in the closet all too often. We leave it hidden in our dresser underneath other articles of clothing. We forget about it. And when we forget about it and don't put it on, all of a sudden, instead of being characterized by humility, pride rears its ugly head. This garment of humility needs to be, it must be the one piece of clothing you actively put on each and every morning. In other words, we are to be characterized by humility. We are to be wrapped in it. We are to be marked by it. Just think of the difference it would make in all of our relationships, especially our relationships at home, if we wore the garment of humility. 
If you put this on every day when you got up. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then Peter gives us two incentives, two motivations for when you get up in the morning to put on this specific garment of humility in verses 6 and 7. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because here's what we tend to think. If I put on this garment of humility, somebody's going to walk over me. I might get walked on by my spouse. I might get walked on at work by my boss or coworkers or somebody else. You want me to put on this garment of humility? You want me to put it on over my chief shirt, over my KU, Mizzou, and K-State stuff? You want me to, to wear this garment of humility each and every day? You've got to be kidding. In this culture, in this world, how will I survive? Because it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And Peter tells us, here, here's why. Here's the motivation. Notice it. First incentive is God will use his mighty hand to exalt the humble. Now, the mighty hand of God is an awesome phrase. It refers to God moving to deliver his people from trouble and distress in the Old Testament. And a prime example is when God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt and he exalted them to the promised land. And in the same way, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may deliver us from fear and worry and exalt us at the proper time. So get this. This is, this is, this is just so amazing. The mighty hand of God that God uses to oppose the proud is the exact same mighty hand that God uses to exalt now the humble. How awesome is that? That's the first motivation. It's the first incentive to cultivate humility, to put on this garment of humility. Second of all, Peter says, God will use his mighty hand to care for the humble. Verse 7, Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And who here doesn't have anxieties? Who here doesn't have a little bit of worry when it comes to life and the relationships we exist in? We all do. But those anxieties, those worries are to be cast on God, not carried by us. So how do you do this? How do you cast your anxiety, your worries on God? It's, it's by believing the promise that God cares for you, cares for the humble. It's a matter of trust that is primarily expressed through prayer. After all, prayer is dependence upon God, which is, again, the definition of humility. So casting your anxieties on God means trusting the promise that that you know what, he does care for me. And he has the power and wisdom to put that care to work in your life and in your relationships. That trust is the opposite of pride. That trust is the essence of humility. That trust is the confidence that the, that the mighty hand of God is not over you to crush you, but to care for you and exalt you. And when it says that he cares, 
It means that God will not stand by and let things develop without his influence, without his ordaining it, without his intervention in it. It means he will act. He will work on your behalf. So don't be proud. Listen, humbly cast your anxieties on God because he will care for you. Oh, do I hope and I pray you are seeing how relationships are ruined by pride. And this is something every one of us battles with and struggles with. No one here is exempt from pride. At the same time, I hope you are seeing that these relationships are restored in humility. Pride pride creates so many problems in our lives. And it really does ruin the relationships that we care about. But humility opens the door for God to intervene with his grace and to restore those relationships. So how do we deal with our pride? Let me leave you with these three steps. Three takeaways in dealing with our pride. Step number one is to admit you have a pride issue, a pride problem. C.S. Lewis once said, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. So none of us here this morning, none of us here can say, I used to be proud. Glad that's over with. That would be prideful. Listen, the first step in dealing with this is to admit I struggle with pride. And a little clue here, we probably need to admit this each and every day. For the same reason that Peter commands us to clothe ourselves with humility. And we need to pick up this garment and put it on each and every day. We need to deal with pride each and every day. Listen, we need to admit that we struggle with pride and that our way of doing things, our way of thinking, and our stubborn position is not always right, and it is not only ruining my life, but also ruining my relationships. The first step is to admit this. It's to come clean about it with the one who can intervene with his grace. And then step two is to ask God to forgive you for the sin of pride. Listen, our God is so gracious. He's so willing to forgive us of our sins when we humble ourselves and seek his forgiveness. In that classic verse that John the Apostle writes in John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and that includes the sin of pride, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And again, that includes pride. So admit you have a pride issue, but don't stop there. Seek God's forgiveness. And oftentimes that also means seeking the forgiveness of the one we are prideful toward. Because normally that pride is what elicits and causes conflict and other problems in our relationship. So oftentimes it means we need to go to the person, like I need to go to my wife oftentimes and say, Darla, will you forgive me? 
I was wrong in this. Please forgive me. And then step number three. Put on daily. Put on daily the Christ-like garment of humility. Again, quoting from his book, Humility, C.J. Mahaney describes himself, and I just, I love how he describes himself here. He says, I am a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. That is all of us here. This could be said for all of us this morning. As Christ followers, we are all dealing with this issue. We are proud people pursuing humility by the grace of God. So each and every day, this is a daily thing we do, put on the garment of humility by the grace of God. Listen, because of pride, you know it, I know it, we live in a world that is filled with ruined relationships that desperately need God's healing grace. And while restoring these horizontal relationships is important, listen, there is one relationship that is far more important, and that is our vertical relationship with God the Father. The problem is, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, is our sin has separated us from God. Our pride keeps us from seeking God, and if we remain in this condition in this state, then God will be our judge and we will suffer eternal judgment for our sins when we die. That is bad news. That is bad, bad news. And that news ought to cause you to stop in your tracks and think about it. But there is good news. And the good news is that God loves you. The good news is God wants to have a relationship with you as your heavenly father. In fact, God loves you so much that he's provided a way now to save us from the judgment of our sins by sending his son to pay the penalty for our sins with his death on the cross. In other words, Jesus humbly, in humility, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient to the point of death and now serves as our example. And so Jesus humbly took our place on the cross so that we could be reconciled in our relationship to God. And when we are reconciled with our relationship to the Heavenly Father, that now provides us the grace to be reconciled in our other relationships. Our relationships with our spouses, our kids, our parents, co-workers, neighbors. Now, I'm not saying that that's all going to happen automatically, I'm saying the possibility is there, at least on our part, to offer and to be the means by which those relationships now can be reconciled. Simply put, the first relationship to deal with in your pride is with God. To humble yourself and admit, I got a pride issue. And that is the source of my sin that's keeping me separated from God. And to admit your need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And to put your faith and trust in Him. And yes, it's in humility, by faith, through the grace of God. And then, to trust the Heavenly Father 
to now work in you and through you in your horizontal relationships. And obviously the ones that you are closest to. The ones at home, your spouse, your kids, your parents. And let the grace of God flow through you in humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for your abundant grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the truth here that Peter gives us in his book. And Lord, I can't help but believe Peter learned this the hard way. As a disciple, he started out as a proud, proud man. And you humbled him, Lord, and he learned. And now he offers us these practical truths here. So God, help us to see that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. In your grace, would you give us the strength to each and every day to put on this garment of humility, trusting that it will make the difference in our relationships with one another. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.